This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash thecitadelcafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 471 for Wednesday, November 1st, 2023. My name is Joel Duggan and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff that we're into. Joining me this week, Stephen ESC is here. You can find him at Stephen ESC on Twitter and on Twitch. And in case you're wondering, that is indeed Stephen with a PH. And before I get into talking with Stephen, I want to give a big shout out and thank you to our patrons. Thank you ever so much for supporting the Citadel Cafe. New thing right now on Patreon is that there are free memberships and there are paid memberships. Essentially what happened was Patreon decided to change the way that they do things with very little notice to creators. And there's a bit of confusion going on. So a free membership on Patreon is just very similar to following the Citadel Cafe on something like YouTube or Twitter uh, or Instagram. It's uh, you're just going to get some notifications. You'll have access to the free shows, but I mean, the free podcast is out there for everybody on all the platforms. Anyway, it's the paid memberships that get bonus stuff. Like, for example, we're recording this episode live again in the discord. So if you're a member of my discord via my own personal Patreon, or of course, the Patreon for the Citadel Cafe, or a Twitch member for my channel, then you get access to the live discord recording. And if you're paying uh, as a paid member on Patreon, then you get access to it later on as well. But yeah, for now, there is that separation between free members and uh, paid members. And really, the only perks that we have are for paid members. The, the free members will get email notifications when stuff goes live or, or you know is recorded and put out there. So there is that. Uh, so keep that in mind. Uh, but I appreciate all of the support for the show. It's actually increased uh, again this month. So uh, things are looking up here at the Citadel Cafe. Uh, speaking of, what have you been up to, Stephen, in the last little while? I've actually been, started listening to my first audiobook ever, Slayers, a Buffyverse story so by Christopher Golden and Amber Benson. So I was a pretty big Buffy the Vampire Slayer when it was out and you know loved loved the Angel spinoff as well. So I was pretty stoked to find out that there were, uh, the story was continu- continuing on, like the same universe was continuing on with a number of the original actors reprising their roles. So it's um, overall... Um, overall, it's pretty good. It's not as good as I had hoped, but it is still great. It's still great to be back into the whole, the whole world of it. Um, some performances, I guess, if I'm being picky, not that I could do any better, <laughs> but some of the performance performances seem like they're, like they're lackluster, that they're just, they're not hitting the same energy level were when they were acting live in front of the camera. And it could be just, that's the difference between reading it in a studio and recording it as opposed to, you know, yelling at each other when you're acting out a fighting scene kind of thing. They just, it just feels like it's, it's like they're trying to do it, but because they're just reading it, it's not quite hitting there, which is a bit of a drag. Um, and, um, you know, they do, they do some things where they just, they over, they like say the same person's name over and over again, because they're just trying to clarify whose voice is talking just in case some of the people talking are the same. Like they'll say, Cordelia Chase, her full name, over and over again. And like the character Faith in it, they said, you mean Faith Lahane? They've never once said her last name 
as far as I know, never once said her last name at all in the TV series. So for them to say, oh, you mean Faith Lahane? That actually confuses it more than it does actually just going with Faith. So I don't know, some things about it that are rubbing me the wrong way, but I'm I, at this point, I'm still enjoying enough to keep listening to it. So I'll probably have more to say about it next time. But yeah, pretty good so far. Very cool. I wonder mm-hmm. if because some of the same actors are in it and are obviously much older, if that's part of maybe the energy that you're hearing that's lower, like they're not 20 anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I mean, you and I were just talking before the show about how tired we are. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, I, I feel bad saying it, but Anthony Head sounds like he's slowed down a bit. Mm-hmm. And he's, I think he's either 70 or close to 70, but he, he also played Rupert... Was it Rupert Mannion or Marion in Ted Lasso? Ted Lasso. Yeah. Yeah, Ted Lasso. And then in, in the last episode that I saw him in, he looked like he was walking with a limp and the his talking was a little bit a little bit slower than usual. So just and it's it's almost it's too bad. I mean, we all get older, but it's it, mm-hmm. it feels like his I almost feel like you could just understand where it's coming from in a sense. But some of the other performances, it's just I know what kind of energy they brought to the role in the TV shows to have it, have it not just match that in the audio reading is a little, I don't want to say it's off-putting, but it's just, I guess for lack of a better word, a little bit disappointing that it's not quite bringing the same energy. But again, it's my first audiobook, So I don't know if that's because mm. like, that's the way audiobooks usually are. They're just, they're more of a read experience rather than a performed experience. It depends on the audiobook. So when I read Game of Thrones, mm. I was flip-flopping between book and audiobook and ultimately ended up settling on the audiobook just because I enjoyed the experience better. Roy Detrice has since passed away, but it was one dude reading mm. the book and narrating it. And he, as a stage actor, was flipping between voices and accents for all the different characters. And he didn't even have to say the necessarily the character's name. Cause you just knew as soon as he was talking about Arya or talking about, or as Ned Stark or as Jon Snow, like just, you immediately kind of figured it out because he had specific, not dialects, but definitely regional accents, um, for right. all, all these characters. He was a British actor. What you were saying just made me think. So when he was reading it, he he was literally, I guess the difference would be that he he was literally reading the book, right? So it was. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like Arya said, kind of thing. He would he would throw that in because that was actually that would be the text in the book. But yeah, okay. But if the conversation was going back and forth, and because um, the writing in it was not so repetitive, and the way that the chapters are structured in Game of Thrones, they weren't chaptered by number; they were just chaptered by character, if I remember correctly. So, like, you'd get to a chapter like 21 and it would instead of calling it chapter 21 it was just called aria and you'd follow that character so you knew that the descriptive voice was from the perspective of aria and then right he would he would put on like he didn't do like a falsetto but he definitely spoke lighter when he was pretending to you know when he's speaking as aria because he was a grown man and you know she's a 12 14 year old girl in some cases in the book (laughs) and so but it's still like it made sense it didn't feel silly it didn't feel put on um it was always 
um, really interesting when he would flip to like just some passersby, you know, like the innkeeper or the, you know, some gruff guy on the street. And it would all be very distinct from anything else that you've heard in, you know, in right. that chapter. And so that was really cool. So if there was a spirited back and forth, they didn't necessarily slow it down by saying, you know, Arya said, Sansa said, Arya said, Sansa, like that, it didn't, it didn't happen like that. Um, but it's gotcha. been a long time since I've listened to them. And that, that, I mean, that was one of the experiences that, that I had listening to that because of the way that it was presented and because of the acting from Detrice, the Red Wedding. I was listening mm. to that in bed. I would listen for like a, a half an hour, 45 minutes before I went to bed. That night I was up a lot longer because <laughs> of course there was a lot of things leading up to that point. But when that happened, right. like I literally sat up in bed, like wide-eyed in the dark going like what just happened just fumbled yeah. for my phone and then like rewound it for a minute or two and then listened again i was like oh my god so <laughs> so you know in a way i don't know that that would have the same impact just reading on the on the page you know i mean i mean it still has an impact but i think that it's it's a little bit um i don't want to say emphasize but it there's more going on emotionally i think because of the way that you know i think probably to roy detrice's credit because he's so good mm -hmm. at, at, at acting. Um, nice. I'm currently reading Patrick Stewart's memoir and he's so good at writing it that you can hear him. Like it sounds like him when you're mm -hmm. reading it. Now, Alistair has the audiobook version and I haven't had a chance to talk with Alistair about his experience with it so far. I'm sure it's great because I've heard oh, yeah. social media clips of Sir Patrick Stewart reading it and I'm sure it's just fantastic. But I've seen so many interviews with Stuart that I just, I kind of know what he sounds like. I know the way that he talks. And um, there are some fantastic interviews with Patrick Stewart on his book tour. Like, if, so if you look for anything recent where he's talking with somebody on a podcast about the book release, um, I'll see if I can find a link to it to send you later. But there's a couple of really intimate conversations with, with him. And something I really admire about him, which is something that he's talked about in interviews before and something that he talks about in the book, is that now at 83 something and probably more so the last few years but something that he's been trying to do is just be more vulnerable and be more open about certain things and mm. it's really refreshing because you don't necessarily see men his age talking about things like mental health or his childhood experience and like just that kind of stuff yeah very openly um and not in an upsetting way and not in the oh woe is look at me way it's in a if i can help somebody by sharing this then awesome um but Otherwise, it's just, it's part of my life story and I've had to re-examine it while writing this memoir over COVID. And it just, mm. it's it's really interesting that way. Um, so it sounds like uh, a Buffyverse story is, is it presented more like a radio play? That's what I was just, like hearing you talk about it, that's what sort of dawned on me. Yeah, there's there's no, there's no um, sort of, what do you call it? Omnipotent, no. Narration? Narration. So it's, it's, um, there, there are bits and pieces of narration. Like it'll start off. I'm not sure how familiar you are with Buffy, but Spike I mean, is one of the characters they brought back. Yeah, James Marsters, and so he, like, it might start off with him going like, like it sounds like he's recounting a part of it to someone else. Like, yeah, you know, we were doing this when, when we got jumped, and and then basically there'd be a little bit of that, and then the story picks up. But there's no, there's no they said or describing what the texture of the ground is or anything like that. Like when there's a fight that breaks out, they are, they're acting like, huh, uh, it sounds like, oh, okay. Yeah. They, they do a pretty decent job of the fight sound. So it's, to me, it's realizing now, <laughs> as I'm saying, 
I'm re- I'm doing my first audio or listening to my first audiobook. It may not actually be a true audiobook. It depends on the situation, but I find that that can sometimes be a good experience. I listened to uh, a book about Darth Vader and trying to rem- a Dark Lord's Rising. I'm trying to remember the name of the book. I've talked about it on the podcast a number of times, but that particularly detailed presentation was narrated by one person but it had the same sort of like they were acting and they would do a lighter voice for the jedi and a darker voice for vader and they would and someone would put like a you know digital effect on him for vader's like through the mask voice as opposed to the inner monologue whenever he spoke out loud it sounded more like you know what he had sounded like in in the films but there was also sound effects of lightsabers and blasters and ships going by and you know, like racing into the hangar just as the ship sped off and they like they the engines of the ship would like be audio in in the the book. Um and like that was that was really cool. I didn't necessarily treat it like a radio play because it wasn't like there was multiple actors, you know, like it wasn't right. like a play. It was still very much reading the actual novel. I want to say the author was James Lucino, I think. But I could be wrong. Um at any at any rate, I mean like there's i think there's probably like a spectrum of yeah of what you could call an audiobook uh you know for example i don't think that you know i mean now granted it's different because patrick stewart's memoir is is non-fiction so it would make sense that it would just be read i mean read very well obviously mm-hmm. but but read and not acted you know what i mean uh yeah. as opposed to like there's no characters that are made up you know um, I, I've, if you, um, if you go down the audiobook road, I have heard that at least one version of the Harry Potter novels as audiobooks are really well presented, like really well narrated by, by someone that's very talented as well. And so that might okay. be a, you know, something to pick up. Cause I, and I, I've been, I've always wanted to read them. I've read the first one and it was okay, but it was obviously aimed at very little kids. And I read it as like a 30 year old or something. Um, and I feel like I would probably enjoy it more as an audiobook, but I the thing that I am missing now is that I I listen to some podcasts, but I I don't commute anymore and haven't for several years, mm. and so I don't have that time sink. Uh, the other thing that I used to do a lot was draw, and the the hours it would take me to to ink a comic, I would just throw in an audiobook. Like that's how I listened to most of Game of Thrones, was just because like once the writing was done. You know, and oh, I didn't have to think about words. I could just ink and just listen and I was fine. But that would be a full work day of just listening to audiobooks, right? Um, but now I actually have to stop and, you know, unplug and read, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> good to disconnect every once in a while. You'd think I would read more. Like I just bought this book. I bought another book as well. I bought uh, Schwarzenegger's new one, um, Seven Rules for Life or something like that. Yeah. And, um, it was, I mean, it, it had a discount. It was on sale when it launched and, uh, it's, it sounded like an interesting read. And I thought, you know what? I'll probably read that. I find that when I'm reading lately, I, I'm more of a, of a nonfiction reader, which is strange because I never used to be. I was always more for like sci-fi novels and stuff like that. But, uh, the last of the while, the books that I've been reading have been like finance, personal investing, like stuff like that. And I wonder it's because I, I consume so much narrative, like so much sci-fi and fantasy and just made up stuff in terms of television and video games that, that maybe having that break of just, you know, something simple, you know, and straightforward, 
Um, not right. that personal investing is simple by any means, but like, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like presented in a way where you're like, you're learning something and, and there's something a little bit more. Um, I, I have to say like, you know, reading that, that Stuart memoir, like the fact that it's all true is really interesting. Like the stuff that he's talking about, he, he starts very early in his life, his childhood back in England. And like, you're going through it and it sounds like a story, but it's just like, it's, someone's life you know which is is yeah. really interesting and maybe that's the appeal of nonfiction: is that it seems like it's so fantastic sometimes mm, mm-hmm. but it, then you go wow this actually happened and, and like it's finding the the marvel or the amazingness in real life that just seems almost as un- unbelievable and that's why i think i get so sucked into sci-fi and fantasy and i've been wanting to find something you know fantastical and fun and out there uh, i've been in that mood ever since we finished ahsoka but there's right. nothing new in the wheelhouse in that way that's like wi- widely available. Uh, you and I are going to be talking about Loki season two later today. Uh, and that's the closest thing as far as sci-fi fantasy goes. But it's not really presented necessarily that way as a TV show. It's more like a buddy cop or a or a mystery. Yeah, It's a time travel thing, which I, I almost separate those from sci-fi fantasy. Do you know what I mean? Like I think I put them in a different category. Um, okay. and I, I like, I've, I've been struggling with trying to figure out what to watch, which is silly. Cause I've got so many subscriptions now to different services that it should not be a problem, but I think it's because I'm, I'm in the mood for something specific. And then so much of what's out there that's new or new to me seems to be not necessarily reality TV, but like more military drama or right. rich people behaving badly or you know oh, like know. This, like all that kind of stuff i'm just like no, i don't want i can watch the news and get all this like i don't need <laughs> necessarily that in my evening entertainment and i even got indecisive when i was gonna i was gonna watch something uh last night for halloween i just thought well I'll, maybe i'll throw on something thematic i didn't go anywhere i just mm-hmm. kind of went to the gym and came home but i looked disney plus had all their Halloween stuff at the top. There was like a Muppet Halloween thing I'd never seen. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas is a classic and I haven't seen it in a while, but that always kind of skirts Christmas a little bit. So like I didn't want to get into Christmassy stuff, although yeah. today would have been a good day to watch it with the snow coming down. No kidding. Um, but then I was like, oh, maybe I'll watch the original Ghostbusters. I haven't seen that in a while. And I just, I've only ever seen Ghostbusters Afterlife the once. I thought maybe I'll watch that. Anyway, I went down this rabbit hole of like, this is dumb. I've spent 30 minutes trying to decide what to watch. Uh, and then finally I decided on, um, Venom, let there be carnage on Netflix. Cause I thought, well, that's kind of Halloweeny and it's actually shot in a very spooky way. There's a lot of situations where you're like, okay, it, it feels like an Adams family movie at some points. And, um, <laughs> I never, I haven't finished it yet because I turned it off after 30 minutes. Uh, same thing tonight. I went to try and finish it before the show tonight and I turned it off after another 30 minutes. I just found myself on my phone. It's not bad per se it's just not engaging me and Mm. it's it's definitely i mean the good news is i saw the first venom and i didn't dislike it there's a lot of odd funny moments and as as someone that hasn't read the comics i'm not sure how spot on those are there's a lot of comedy in this i did laugh a couple times but it's very strange when you think about venom as this like villain in spider-man and then they're giving him like comedic beats in these films and i mean Tom Hardy is a great actor and he's doing this fantastic job of like having someone with like a split personality and like a voice, an alien voice inside his head. And there's all the physical acting he has to do (laughs) when like Venom is half on and half off and they're having a conversation and stuff. So it's like, it's wild to watch, but 
it's it hasn't really i think it's just that the plot is just so me like not meandering but it's just it seems because of the title of it and because of the trailer you kind of know where it's going so you kind of just get impatient with like why are we still in the middle of like this right. the movie and there's not been carnage who's in the title <laughs> you know so it's a it was a little bit slow in that way but uh, i mean if i finish it i will get back to everyone on a verdict but um I just feel like I'm suffering from choice paralysis and I did yeah. sign up from Paramount plus and I think I might bring in and do like a family plan on uh, Apple TV plus just to kind of bring in um, dad who likes stuff on Paramount plus and maybe mom and Barry might like some stuff. And so nice. I might do that as like a Christmas gift and then, cause it's not that much money for me uh, and it'll be a like a cool thing to give to everybody is like, just as like a stocking stuffer and I found out, I did look it up that because I have Paramount plus everybody would have access to that under the family plan. I don't have, there's no extra, Ooh, nice. I, don't have to, I don't have to pay extra for that. So that's cool. Um, Very and, nice. and you can control who gets access to what. So I can say you get access to Apple music and Apple TV plus, but not my 200 gigs of space. <laughs> Cause I don't want you all messing with that. Uh, yeah, so that's, which nice I think too. you can do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, you can. Yeah. No, I, this, that was the selling feature. I wasn't going to do it because I didn't want to share the the space. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, okay. Thanks. Cause I just thought that could get complicated and I already have to do tech support for both my parents. I'm just like, I just rather not go down that rabbit hole. Um, but it turns out they can have theirs completely separate and then you can just share the access to the media, which is fine. So, um, but as a result, you know, like I've added $10 a month to, with Paramount plus, and now I'm looking at like Netflix, which is a big expense and Disney plus is going to go up soon. And I'm just, I'm just yeah. trying to decide, you know, and there is a library of content that I have not watched that has been recommended to me on, uh, Apple TV plus. So like uh, that's staying because that's kind of the, the media house I live in right now with, you know, being a Apple user, iPhone user, you know, Apple music person at the gym. I do have YouTube premium just cause it's what I watch the most which means I do right. have access to YouTube music. So if I ever decided to just cancel Apple for whatever reason, I do still have like wireless music, you know, and, and you know, endless streaming at the gym. Like I can come up with some radio stations or a playlist and I can still do that. So that at least is, is an option if I really decide to pare things down. Uh, Cause YouTube premium is the better part of $13 a month too, I think. So it's, uh, yeah, $10 here, $15 there. It's just, it adds adds right back up to what a cable subscription was. Yeah. The one that I don't mind canceling, um, because there's just so much and it's so hard to find something good is Netflix. If there's something Mm. that I know I want to watch, like for example, the crown, um, season four or five, part one is coming out in November. I enjoy that. I've never been a royal kind of fan person, but I really like that show. It's really well made. And so I'll keep Netflix until I, I've at least finished that. Uh, I very often keep Netflix over Christmas just because there's usually Christmas movies and stuff like that that I might want to check out. But in the right. new year, Netflix would be high on the chopping block, I think. It's a bit tough for our family because we we all sort of watch things from different services. So my wife doesn't really watch anything on Disney Plus. So she's like wondering why we can't get rid of that. And so, well, I do watch things on that. And mm-hmm. You know, talk about getting rid of Netflix off and on, but then she watches things on that. And then we don't all watch the same streaming services, so we're paying for more than we probably would if we all had right same same tastes. Yeah, well, I mean, push comes to shove, you could always come over here and watch Disney Plus stuff. 
you know, true. If there's a new Star Wars series, you can make an evening out of it. I mean, we're going to talk about it together on the show anyway. Yeah. <laughs> that would we'll be kind of fun, people actually. tune in for live reaction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Along with everybody else on YouTube that does the same thing. Oh, yeah, man. Exactly. Whenever there's a new Star Wars show, my YouTube feed is always just full of, like, reaction to Ahsoka Episode 5 or, like, you know, insert Star Wars meme here. Speaking of the viewing experience, we have a listener email this week from Smurf588, a bean counter patron in our patron support categories, and the subject is at the movies. Hi, Joel and Steven. Do you think the full-length feature movie is going the way of the dinosaur? I used to be a regular cinema goer, but in the last few years, I haven't found a single movie which I think deserves the 15-pound price of a ticket. Normally, there's at least one movie that captures my interest, but I honestly think the last one was The Force Awakens, which for folks wondering was 2015. I appreciate that there has been all sorts of strikes and issues with Hollywood, but it seems recently all effort has been going into these short streamed series. I'm a big Star Wars fan and have really enjoyed the series that have been released, like Andor, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Ahsoka. I just can't get on board with the Marvel or DC universe, so I'm not interested in any of the movies or miniseries. Do you think this is the next evolution of the entertainment industry, or do you think the full movie could make a comeback? Will there ever be a non-Marvel, non-DC, non-Star Wars blockbuster that is worth the full red carpet movie experience? I would be interested in your thoughts. Really great show. Keep up the amazing work. Smurf588. Uh, thanks for the great email. What a really cool mm. question. Uh, thank and you. thank you again for the support as a Bean Counter patron. I am going to share a couple of links in our live chat. They'll also be in our show notes as well. Uh, these are links to the top 10 grossing movies in the U.S. Uh, over the last 10 years, as well as the top grossing movies worldwide in 2023 and 2022. And one of the reasons I think that Smurf 588 has not been to the theaters is because if you look how many of these are either Star Wars, Marvel, <laughs> or insert others um like franchise here there's yeah. precious few <laughs> that stand out as like this is not one of those uh so i think that might be one reason why um smurf 588 has not been to the movies in a while worth pointing out though that uh 2023 the top grossing film is barbie uh followed by super mario brothers that's internationally and then oppenheimer I don't know whether Oppenheimer is necessarily a blockbuster though. Like that to me is more of a art film. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, a very well made one, which is why it's made almost a billion dollars. But you know, um, when you've got Barbie at 1.4 and Super Mario Brothers at 1.3 uh, internationally, that's, that's a lot of money. Um, but then you've got in the top 10 for 2023, you've got Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 at number four, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse at number six, uh, we've got, uh, that's the only other, uh, Marvel stuff in the top 10 internationally, but you've got like fast 10, um, oh, yeah. you've got <laughs> little mermaid from Disney is in the top 10 surprisingly. Uh, and then mission impossible. But again, like, I don't, I don't know whether Smurf 588 is, is just like singling out Marvel DC star Wars or also thinking about other franchises, like lumping in fast 10, like he's not going to see fast 10 because unless they're like, unless it's a fan and they've seen all of them. Right. Right. So yeah, like that's, 
I think that kind of goes in there um, with the franchise stuff. And then I don't know whether animation would necessarily be blockbuster, even though they do, they, they gross really well, but that's because like, it's not just usually one person to go see that. It's usually a family, you know, like, so if mm. you're going to go see it, you're often bringing like four people to go. And probably to go more see than that. once if your little kid loved it. Yeah, exactly. Right. So um, it's weird because of course I really like, I really like animated films, but I, I wouldn't consider them blockbusters, but I no longer race to the theater to go see them. Right? Like I, I've watched, I watched the Mario movie at home. I watched Elemental from Pixar at home. Quite enjoyed it. Mm. It was very lovely, but like didn't race to the theaters to go see it. And some of that is my COVID brain. Just thinking like, I just don't put myself in that situation very often out of habit now. Um, yeah. But to go into 2022, uh, the top two films uh, are um, uh, technically they're franchises, but they're they're few and far between. Avatar: The Way of Water uh, is number one in twenty twenty two. That's two point three billion, well out ahead of Top Gun: Maverick, which was number two at one point four billion uh, hmm. worldwide. Then you got Jurassic World Dominion, Doctor Strange: The Multiverse of Madness, uh, Minions: The Rise of Gru, so another animated feature. Then you got Black Panther: Wakanda Forever, The Batman. Thor Love and Thunder. So like there are three or four superhero movies in the top 10. Uh, and then you've got uh, Battle at Lake Shigan. That's a, that's a, obviously a Asian release. And then Puss in Boots, another animated feature. So there's usually some animation in the top 10, but Avatar, I mean, it's a sequel, but, or a part two, but like there's, it's been 10 or 15 years since the first one. Yeah. So it's not like, the endless train of Marvel movies that I think Smurf five eighty eight is referring to. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I think Top Gun Maverick would be a really good example of a blockbuster. That's not a superhero, like not one of those big franchise things. Right. It's got some nostalgia pull, but it still stands on its own pretty well too. But I think it, I think for me, it comes down to like, what's worth it. eye candy wise, whether it's part of a franchise, part of a series, part of a, greater you know cinematic universe kind of thing if it if it's not going to be something that really needs to, or, or will really benefit from seeing on a large screen then it's not it's not something that's going to draw me in so I'm, I'm a little bit hypocritical in that sense where i guess i don't only go to the movies for the big blockbuster type films but those are the ones that are more visually appealing on a large screen i mean um i mean l listening to you say that you're you're not going in very often like you also have a fairly decent home media setup like your your television is significantly oh, larger yeah. than mine is and you've got a great lighting setup and great sound setup so for for you you're getting not much less of an experience at home like you're not seeing it right away and you have to avoid spoilers and you know the things that go along with the sort of delay of but you can still watch something like really huge really high quality and really get immersed in it. So for, for me at home, it's still decent, but it's not, it's like, it's, it's a much further jump down the ladder in terms of, um, enjoyable experience, I guess for me. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess to get to the, to, to answer your question, I don't, I don't think that the feature length format is going away or, or maybe I hope it's not. Maybe that's just me being naive <laughs> because I like to go, but I still, I think there's still a place for it. And the downside of the, of that, I guess, would be that, you know, places are just going to still dump money into these big, big explosion type movies that are sometimes more eye candy than 
substantial storyline. I don't know, but the Michael Bay syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I don't think the format will go away. There's too many yeah. people that just adore it as an art form. And you might see a shift in that the blockbusters might dial it back. But the problem there is that the blockbusters are what make the money for the production companies to then fund the art films that don't make a lot of money, right? right. Like if you want to have a really good actor in your, you know, art film and you like, that's the whole budget, you know, like the, the, depending on what that actor might demand for a fee like you might not have room for a whole lot more and so sometimes you have to invest a lot heavily from a studio and they're not going to have the money to give if they're not bringing in the billions of dollars that come in from like a top gun or an right. end game or a, a doctor strange right and um i would argue part of, part of the problem and the burnout with some of these blockbusters is that I don't necessarily think since Endgame that the Marvel quality has been up there. Uh, but yeah. then I feel like a lot of people are feeling obliged to go see them because, well, previously the track record was they were good and there's also a lot of them. And so you don't want to miss out. Like you don't want to be behind mm -hmm. in the story. You want to try and stay up with everybody. And if, you, if you're if you a fan of the universe, then you, you want to go see it. But there's also the expected payoff as well. So if, if you're seeing them seeing them all in good time, like early enough, you're not waiting for them to come out on Disney plus or anything later right. than, you know, I've, I've been going to see them because for the most part, even sometimes if the story's lackluster, they're, they're really fun to experience, like visually very cool. Mm -hmm. And I just, I guess I keep hoping that there's going to be a payoff that's similar to what end game was. I'm pretty sure I watched black Panther Wakanda forever at home. I think I saw Dr. Strange yeah. in theaters. I know I saw guardians of the galaxy three in theater. <laughs> <laughs> uh that experience is burned into my brain yeah <laughs> but it's not like my experience in the theater in general though has been bad because my experience seeing top gun was incredible like mm. i it was also it was the first movie back after covid lockdowns and i went with a bunch of friends you know everybody that really enjoyed the original you know a bunch of guys that watched it to death you know when we were yeah, in yeah. grade school so like that was that was a fun evening so for a whole lot of reasons, but it was also a really good movie. And uh, just that whole theater experience, that's something I'm glad I did not miss in theater because of the sound and the, like the experience of flight on a screen that size. I've got a nice TV, but it's not going to do Top Gun Maverick justice right. as, as, as a theater would. That's one I wish I had of uh, taken your advice on and gone to see him in, in a theater because I'm, I'm sort of trying to balance you know, what I see in theater with going with my family so we can enjoy movies together. Um, but also, you know, things that I just want to see for myself. And so I was, I was, I don't want to say erring on the side, but I was, I was leaning more towards going to see films that we would all go see together. But then I think, I think interest in seeing movies as much as I want to see them has sort of, it's not quite there. It sort of died off in mm. the family. So I think like going forward, I think I'm just going to go, yeah, that's what I want to see. And then just, just take a day, like maybe I'll take an afternoon off work, just a bit of vacation time. Oh, yeah. Go do that. And just like, you know, do a thing that's just a pocket of time for me. Like the, the last couple of movies I went to see, or there have been a couple of movies, I guess, in the last year that were just for me. And I actually really enjoyed it. Um, Love my family and love spending time with them. But there was just this cool thing about just having this rare moment, just enjoying something by myself for myself. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. Yeah. I used to do that more often, like before I had 
a good setup here and when other films were were coming out before covid like i would just walk over to dartmouth crossing and get some exercise in it's a good you know four or five kilometers and then i'd watch a movie you know mm -hmm. uh and uh, depending on who was around sometimes you know i would go with somebody but very often it was just me because i i was the one that worked from home and could take the day off and i don't remember if it was star wars or if i i don't think i would have done that because those when when those came out those were those were family affairs at like Christmas time. Mm -hmm. It was like myself yeah. and dad Same. and Andrea and Phyllis and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, like I think that, you know, there are some moments like that. I, as far as, you know, the future of other blockbusters as well, um, they're currently not making any, but when they were cast bond, uh, I would imagine depending on who gets cast as the new 007, that the next bond film will get a lot of attention and those yeah. are always the kind of thing that are worth seeing in theaters. I believe I've watched the last few at home, but th th I think they came out too close to COVID for my liking. And I was just like, I would go see it, but I just, I don't really feel like it's worth the risk. Um, but those are, are hmm. big, those are big films. And there's a couple of ones that are, um, is it the circle, the cycle or something? There's a couple of sci-fi ones that were coming out recently that look interesting, but you know, I, I don't know if there's enough happening it's so hard i think for a film these days to try something new and try to stand yeah. out when a studio all they have to do is just make another marvel movie or attempt another dc film or whatever and make another live action animated movie exactly and they just oh cough yeah. cough disney cough, oh, cough. yeah don't get me started um and that kind of stuff i think just goes forward before we wrap this up something that that might be considered and this is not necessarily lining up with smurf 588 but just something that's been on my kind of radar lately is all the talk online about taylor swift's concert tour film uh the heiress mm. tour and how she skipped the middleman she just went straight to theaters there's no production company she is the production company they just made yeah. it and then went straight to theaters and skipped the the people that normally line their pockets and a lot of people in those production companies are not happy with taylor i think it's a freaking awesome move uh, Brilliant. <laughs> because it means that there's competition in the space. But I remember seeing some social media, I will not call it backlash, but feedback online. People saying that uh, they went to go see this heiress tour, but then were appalled at theater behavior because people were standing up and singing along and dancing in the seats. And I, I think that that's just, you have to set your expectations. You know, like I wouldn't want that in my screening of uh, Avengers Endgame, but... Mm -hmm. You know, I I feel like because of the ticket prices for, you know, Swift's concerts, one being just like prohibitive from a price perspective, but you can only fit so many people in, in a stadium. And if there's more people in the area that fit in that stadium that want to go see, then you just, you can't get everybody. And so people miss out. And so these concert films are wave, ways for people that missed it or couldn't go to financially afford to go and, and have a good time with it. Uh, and maybe get some behind the scenes stuff too, right? Yeah, more of a concert, a, a concert event than a movie. Exactly. Going. Yeah, yeah. And in the same way that you know, local theaters will do uh, matinees that are for like super young kids, where the volume is lower, the lights don't go down all the way, like that kind of thing. And it's meant to be yeah. like, look, if you've got to get up in the middle of the movie to change your kid, you know, like and interrupt, like walk in front of people, that's kind of expected. If you've got a toddler yeah. that's going to be wandering around bored after 30 minutes, like everybody there just knows that's a possibility. And so people don't complain about it. Cause like, that's what you signed up for, for this, you know, toddler matinee or whatever they call it. And I think that that's, you know, 
that's interesting that one it's happening but two like if you can set that expectation early then you know maybe like it would be nice to see the return of smaller movie houses that's something else you don't see anymore either is yeah. smaller places like i mean i've talked before about um the theater i don't remember the name of it though uh, there was a one movie house theater in Sackville where I went to university. There's there used to be one on Quimple. Um, it's a it's a different the space. Yeah. yeah, the Oxford. It's a different space now. They they've turned it into something, but I don't remember what it is. But all that stuff, it, it it was really quaint. And I remember seeing like I I wouldn't want to go see Star Wars in one of those, but I was very happy to see you know like a rom com or you know a comedy yeah. or. Uh, I, not that I was a fan of these, but you know, a lot of times there'd be like a Halloween movie, uh, in university that you'd go see with your friends cause you got outvoted like just that kind of stuff. <laughs> but like, but those are the kind of films that are fine in a small, you know, intimate theater setting and, and it, like, it works out that way. Um, and, and in a way you kind of feel like you're in more of an event because when you're in a huge theater and there's a hundred people in there and it's only half full. You're like, all right, I guess this is an okay experience. But when there's a hundred people in a theater that only sits a hundred people, then you kind of feel like you're part of an event because there's like, everybody is here to see this thing. This place is packed, you know, and that's, that's a different experience as well. I wonder if, I wonder why a lot of those places close. Well, I mean, they probably closed because it was just expensive, but I just, I wonder if it would be possible to do a revival now that digital is so so everywhere like you could have a digital pro mm. projector and then just have the digital file as opposed to having to have like a little film house that gets shipped the reels of film to then have a you know and then need to run that physical and likely aging camera yeah um i wonder if you'd be able to make a comeback not necessarily to make you know buckets of money but just to kind of recreate that experience i think that'd be cool Moving on to the main discussion this week, we're going to be talking about Loki season two and spoilers ahead for, of course, the first four episodes. The last one that aired was on October 26th. So episodes one through four, we're going to be talking about that. I don't have a lot of spoilers necessarily to get into. I just overall, I kind of have just some some general feeling because at the moment, I don't know if there's it's really clear where they're going with the the season there's only two episodes left as far as i know mm -hmm. and so yeah. uh that's kind of where we're sitting so uh, to kick things off like what what have you been feeling about loki season two so far overall i'm enjoying it i mean maybe you could people roll their eyes and say of course it's marvel steven's gonna like it kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm actually enjoying it i'm enjoying the storyline just because it's i guess some shows i watch and it feels like the mandalorian i enjoyed but every every episode was kind of the same format. Like they would have to go on this, this go do this task, and they're supposed to sometimes you know it'd be meet up with somebody. It doesn't go right. There's a shootout. Mandalorian survives, wins or whatever, and then hops into his jet and then like flies back Western style to wherever he from whence he came, kind of thing. But the the thing about the Loki is that it's it's like it's so far all one really long story arc which i appreciate like this this takes place essentially right right after season one finished and then and like picks off and just picks up and starts running and i i i really liked the fact that they did that so um it wasn't like some like some shows do where three years later or you know mm -hmm. three months later kind of thing it was just he got kicked through a portal at the end of season one um and I guess anyone who hasn't seen season one, 
spoiler alert, but um, He Who Remains was killed at the end of season one. And then like right after that, or right before that, yeah, Loki was kicked through a, a portal and then it ended. And then to the beginning of this season, he comes basically flying through a portal and and then we, away we go. Um, so I, re- I really enjoyed season one. I mean, I know you mentioned kind of the uh, the buddy cop thing, which I, I'm actually enjoying their, their banter. I think they've got good chemistry with each other. And I feel like the addition of, um, oh, shoot. Owen Wilson? No, the uh, oh, OB that played by Kihuan Kwan. And I'm, I apologize. I'm probably mispronouncing that. But I feel like he was a good addition as well because he brings this this other level of comedy to it that the other two don't have he's like he's super quirky he he brings like a level of history to the tva that we just weren't privy to before because he's like he wrote the handbook he's been there for like essentially it seems like the the entire time that the tva has existed he's been there and he's he's the the gadget man the the fixer of all the things so i think he's a a good addition and I i feel like episode one was pretty darn strong i have thoughts about the other episodes but one was a good one i agree with you that Quan is pretty spot on as OB, like as far as writing and acting and casting. Like I just, I, now that it's been a few episodes, like I can't imagine anybody else in that role, you know? Yeah. And I did kind of wonder like, oh, he's doing another time travel movie and I've not seen <laughs> the other one, but it just, it's, it struck me as kind of odd. Uh, but he, in a way, like it's, it's almost like he is just being himself because I've, I've seen him in interviews and he has that kind of like childlike energy, you know? Yeah, it's so good. But then the, the dialogue in this is, it's not stiff per se, but it's very specific. Uh, Obi's dialogue is very specific and, mm-hmm. but it's always delivered with the same sort of, like, it doesn't matter where like, I need this hydro spanner or we're all going to die. It's they're presented kind of at the same, the same tone, which is, (laughs) I mean, there is some acting in there to say like, well, we're all going to die is a bad thing, but he's still speaking with the same sort of like childlike enthusiasm, but with just sprinkle with fear or anxiety or joy or like whatever it is that you're supposed to feel, but it's always the same sort of like he's at an 11 <laughs> most of the time yeah. it's like you believe it coming from him though if anyone else yes. was delivering it the same way it no, just would exactly. be like oh they're just the acting is so flat but he's just so spot on it's like how much time do we have you have one hour you have five minutes and it was just like these like his, his timing on everything was good too i'm really enjoying him the the space that he's in as well i don't remember what level it is but like it's the bowels of the tva and it has this I mean, the whole TVA maintains this 1950s style vibe. And that's, I think one yeah. of the things that I like so much about the show is the cinematography, the set dressing. I don't know where this, the, if they're using the, the volume at Disney for a lot of this. I mean, I think some of the special effects they might be, but, but, uh, and a lot of times they might be just in front of a green screen. That's just not showing anything. Cause it's such a, like what they're in front of is like an entire expanse of like nothingness, but the timeline, um, but when they're inside the TVA, whether it's like getting pie or like the control center, like it's mm. all this like fifties dials and knobs. Like it's, it's very original Pixar Incredibles, you know, like the televisions have got dials on them, not buttons on the side. you like just stuff yeah. like that. All the displays are like green displays with glowing. Oh, totally. CRTs everywhere. Single color CRTs. And then you get down into Obi's workshop and it's 
all that and more. It's like springs and like gaskets and like the kind of stuff that you don't equate with technology. You know, like they're putting together, I can't remember what it's called. It's got something to do with fixing the the time loom and it needs to yeah. be some sort of like discombobulator, whatever the hell they call it. It honest to God looks like a spaghetti strainer and a few other things <laughs> glued together. Like they're not really, I mean, they make it look odd enough that it's not something you actually have in your kitchen, but they definitely yeah. have raided like the dollar store kitchen in the prop department to make this thing. There must be an absolute just frenzy in the prop space for the stuff that's happening on Loki because the things that they hold look so authentic and so mm -hmm. weird and it's it could be something like this is a thermostat from like 1954 <laughs> but for us it's like it's a ray gun like whatever they're doing like it's it's really bizarre but it all matches like you know the the wood paneling in the hallways the green carpets the the weird diner aesthetic where they get their pie, how every piece yeah. of pie is lined. I like love this. that room. I oh, it's, room it's very cool. And it's great as like a stage because it lights everybody so well. Something that I found yeah. this particular this season has been, there's a lot of, a lot of dark stuff, a lot of like 19 or 1800s or 1900s Chicago. And it's like, it's really hard to see what's going on in dim rooms and, and things like that. So going back to the TVA, if there's an important conversation with, mobius and and loki happening in the pie room like they're very well lit you can see their facial expressions you can see everything that's going on and that has been has been cool in a lot of ways i feel like it's well shot there's a couple of things that i think get lost but i'll leave that for the cons my big plus is i i really enjoy tom hiddleston i i think he's great there are some things but i think that's writing less so hiddleston that i don't like and as you mentioned i really enjoy the the chemistry with owen wilson I think the special effects this season have been pretty good so far too. Like there's, there's a lot of the streaming shows, I guess going back to the email, one of the things about streaming shows that kind of take me out of it is that the special effects don't seem to be kind of up to par with the budget okay. mm. of movies. But that family, I don't have any complaints about this so far. I think they're nailing it. Like when I, I forgot to mention, like when, uh, when Loki got kicked through the portal, he ended up doing this weird kind of time shifting thing. And he looked like he was physically being pulled apart in this weird toffee, like bubbling toffee whole thing it was so bizarre but it looked it it looked as authentic as something like that could i guess having never seen it before but it, it there's no at no point did i go oh that's that's clearly cgi and have me taken out of it so it's another thing i'm enjoying about the show that sounds like a really good behind the scenes thing where like, you know, Hilston explains how they made that effect, like whether he had to do all those poses, just like hold it for a couple seconds while they film it. And then they just like sped it up and just use that in After Effects to do whatever. Um, right. In That's the cool. same way that on Star Trek, like it doesn't matter what kind of special effects they try to imply. The best way to show being shot is for the actors to fake a lunge, you know, like being mm. fake, being shook from side to side. Nothing ever looked as good as the actors just learning how to look like look like the bridge was shaking. Faking it looked better than any kind of special effect. I thought that was really mm. interesting. There's something to be said. Like I always go back to like the Lord of the Rings where they use like camera tricks and perspective tricks to show like the difference in scale between Frodo and Gandalf or you know, different miniatures or bigatures compared to CGI. Unfortunately, those movies, the CGI doesn't necessarily hold up when you watch it on a 4K TV anymore. But mm, uh, but but anything that's on film does, because that's all the same kind of grainy look, right? Like the set dressing and like all that kind of stuff. It's only the big wide shots where you're like, that looks kind of, you know, odd. 
um, if there's anything layered. Some things don't. Like Rivendell still looks good. It's it's other situations. I think the thing that always stands out to me is the the scene where Merry and Pippin are riding uh, Treebeard and they're having a conversation with him as he walks through Fanghorn. And like, they look like they're in front of a green screen. Like there is no, yeah. <laughs> no, you know, no guessing about that. But but that's, it's a small thing in a, a wider, you know, expansive story. Um, but I mean, that's a set of movies where the story is so good that you forgive a lot of of the the shortcomings. Um, I've not noticed anything terrible with the special effects. I, I have noticed that Loki and uh, is it Sylvie? Whenever they do their like Loki powers, they basically yeah. just kind of like throw a hand out and there's like a smoke grenade. And it's the same sort of like, I don't exactly know what you did. I don't know how you aimed it. Uh, you just kind of like blow everybody back and that's it. Like I, I, I thought Loki had a lot more to do. Like there's for someone that has, is famous for using daggers all the time. There's not been any daggers. And right. there's also been a lot of cutting away from stuff. And I've noticed it in Ahsoka with Disney and I'm noticing it more in the Marvel stuff where I don't necessarily want to see a bunch of people get crushed inside of a little orange digital box, but the fact that they don't show anything at all, it, there's a lot of that. And, and I feel like a lot of the, to go back to the Loki violence, I feel like there's a lot of stuff where Loki could and should be being a little bit more aggressive, but he's basically like force pushing people around with green smoke. And it's yeah. just, it's a little bit repetitive. And I feel like mm. in the Marvel films, he used to be more uh, creative with what he did. Like he'd duplicate himself or he'd, um, you know, throw a knife out of thin air or uh, he'd take someone's eyeball. Like just now, yeah. again, he's trying to be different. Like there's, there's a, there's a character arc supposedly happening with Loki. So like he's a changed person, changed God. Um Although he still has some arrogance and that's starting to come back, which I like, because I feel like the yeah. first season, they really broke him down. And I can't remember exactly which episode, but there's some reference to like, it doesn't, whatever solution you seem to present, it always feels like you're playing God. And Loki walks away. I think it's Sylvie that's giving him a hard time. And Loki walks away. He's like, we are gods. Like, yeah, wake up, you know? Um, so yeah, uh, I've had a hard time wrapping my head around the character motivations for anyone. So this is a con. And mm. I know that Loki is scared of he who remains and what that means, but I didn't feel like they spent enough time with him to really fear him in the same way that, or in the opposite way, I guess that Thanos, we had enough of Thanos to be like, yeah, scary bad guy. Like this guy is bad yeah. news. And, and I, and I feel like we didn't get enough of that. Yeah, we had we had years with Thanos though from yes. the first time he appeared to the time that the everything ended. So that's but he's also even if you had like if it was still Thanos at the at the end of the timeline and he was walking around and talking the way that Thanos does, there's a lot more gravitas to, to that than he who remains. I one I think the name is stupid, but also like it it just <laughs> the presentation just doesn't stick with you the same way. But yeah, like so I don't know why Loki is trying to help um, the TVA has been split somehow. And this is where that I feel like they went off to the races almost too fast in, in episode one. Yes. And I, and I did watch the last time on Loki. Like I, I watched the season like wrap up that they did um, just to kind of refresh my memory. I think I maybe should have gone and read some of the synopses or maybe even rewatched season one. Cause I was lost. I really didn't catch on that. The whole time slipping thing while cool 
I didn't think they did a very good job of showing me where he was because he was still physically in the TVA, but he was jumping mm. back and forth in time, but not by a lot, you know, and, and, and it wasn't clear to me when he was and who would like, so he'd be talking to one person and they'd have a different motivation than when he talked to them before, because there's something had happened that we didn't know. And I feel like, and this is more for the minor characters, people like, um, like the Hunter B-15 and, um, maybe even Renslayer a little bit, but like they have a single conversation with someone, not necessarily one of our main characters, just someone. And all of a the sudden they've changed their tune. They've, they've decided, oh, maybe we shouldn't be trimming the timeline. The thing that they've been mm -hmm. doing for the entire existence, as far as we know. Uh, cause I don't, even though people are of different ages in the TVA, I don't necessarily know that they age in the TVA. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't I, think, I don't think they do. It's hard to kind of figure out. Yeah. That flip-flop made sense to me though, because they all just found out. They, they all believed that they had always been there, but they all just found out that they are a variant. Right. That was basically, they were, each of them were plucked from a timeline. And then it's possible that that timeline either exists or it's been destroyed before. So I, I can, personally, I can see that flip-flop because you're going from, wanting to trim them all to like, okay, well, I'm, I had a life out there. I kind of want to, you know, explore that and see if I can find out, is it possible to find out where I came from? Am I from the sacred timeline is, is or is my original, was my right. original one trimmed or, or whatever. But if you don't remember it, what does it matter? That's where I'm in a blank, right? Like if you, if you've just found out that you are a variant, well, that's fine. But even if you go back to your life as a whatever, you have no memory of it. You're not, no. you don't miss your loved ones. You don't miss your job. You don't miss whatever it was that you used to do because you don't know it. And I feel like right. that's, and that to me is a strange motivation to say like, oh, I want to go back to my life on the, you know, at my, my variant life on the timeline. Why? For me, it's like, you want to know what, you know, what were you stolen from? So, I mean, oh, and well, uh, Mobius doesn't want to go back because he doesn't want to see where he was where he came from, whether, right. you know, maybe he was doing something bad. Maybe it was so good that he's going to then suddenly regret what he's doing. But his argument is he's happy, you know, whether it's true or not, he's saying he's happy where he is. And so he does not want to go back. But, you know, if you found out that you were just sort of plucked out of a timeline because you were a variant, but you had a loving spouse and kids and you were doing amazing work that helped a lot of people, but like, oh, variant, and then you're plucked out and you're just forced to do this job, you'd... I can personally, I can see wanting to know what life was like before, because maybe you would like to have the opportunity to go back to that if it was truly fulfilling, or if you realize that you're like a raging murderer, raging murderer and just all around not good person, then you can kind of go, holy smokes, then I'm, I'm glad I was plucked from that. And then, you know, you can make the decision at that point, but without, before you knew, you're just, you're forced to live this existence. Um not knowing that there's anything else. So for me, it's like, once you find out that there used to be something else, I would be, I'd be very curious to know where I came from anyway. The thing for me is that they don't wipe your memory. If you go back to that timeline, you still remember the TVA, right? Yeah. So you, then you, then you become a problem in that timeline because you know more than you should, you know, you've got knowledge of technology beyond what you should. And when, when it comes to like, going back to the timeline like i i don't understand how like sure you might want to know where you came from but it, it, it it's like a 
paradox for me. It's like, well, why, why? Yeah. Oh, for sure. You're like, you, you can't go back because your memory has been wiped. The person who wiped it is dead. Can't restore it. So, and wouldn't restore it anyway, I don't think. So like, I, I find the whole thing a little bit convoluted and it feels like such a strong motivation for like the, the way that the characters are, are going about it. It it, just, it feels like it's, they have more weight in the show than I feel like it's been give, given. And there's a couple of lines where they talk about, they tease, I can't remember his name, Brad, I think is what they call him. Brad Wolf. Yeah. Yeah. So they say, yeah, we all know the life that you had in your timeline, Brad, big time actor. Well, if you can look at the timeline and know what that is without going back to it, then how come everybody just doesn't know what they like? His storyline's different because he was basically granted that role on the um, the sacred timeline if he told them where Sylvie was. So basically, he was he was living the Hollywood lifestyle because he sold out Sylvie. That's that's one of my complaints about it. I feel like they yeah. they jumped around. Oh, they too did quickly a lot. Because like at the at the end of episode one, they're talking about you know should we be trimming should we not be trimming and then um, Brad was there as Hunter X five I think it was like for a nanosecond practically, and then he's the main character of episode two and they're talking to him like he's been on he's been an actor in the sacred timeline for ages like everyone knew who he was, but he only just left episode one a moment ago so I don't I don't know how like the timeline works in the sense that it doesn't seem like it's all to me it feels like it should be all moving forward at the same pace you know what i mean but yeah like sylvie's timeline she was working at mcdonald's was mcdonald's yeah at mcdonald's but it looked like it was a mcdonald's back in maybe the 80s or like early 90s or something like that and then brad looked like he was a movie star in probably like the 2000s or something so it was it's weird how not the timelines aren't moving forward at the same time so there's i, I have things that i don't care for in it and those are a couple of the things that just feels like they're some things they just jumped to or passed far too quickly to have it yeah feel cohesive and i had to kind of go back and rewatch parts of it to not that i understand it entirely but i feel like i've got a better sense from rewatching bits yeah the stuff that's been grating on me is is the the lack of character motivation clarity combined with the plot motivations being very basic like everything yeah. is super complicated in terms of timelines and variants and like who knows and who doesn't know and who who's pro-variant and who's anti-variant. But then this, the plot is like, we need X to stop Y. Chase X for rest of episode, right? And either in this episode or very early in the next, you get X and you return with X only to find out that Y has changed. The goalposts have moved. And now you need right. Z to stop Y. So get X, go find Z to stop Y rinse and repeat for four <laughs> episodes like it's just it is monotonous and in a way it keeps them moving through time and it keeps you know it keeps it from being a talking head show in the in the tva although there's a bit of that too um but i like i do find that that is really that moving the goalpost thing is one of my pet peeves in plot mm. design it drives me crazy because like if once you get to the end like once we have all six episodes there's going to be things that you could pull out and say this could have been three episodes instead of six if you just didn't move the goalposts in episodes two three and four right then we would be fine and i feel like the other thing they keep on referring to is that it's the end of the world or time itself or everything and themselves and 
it it doesn't ever seem like that like the way that they present time it's this ever marching forward thing that is just something you have to prune and guide and you can't ever really destroy it's just because that's not possible in the terms of the way that time works but then Hmm. they're talking about like well if this thing blows up if the time loom blows up then that's everything we all die that's the end of all that's the end of it all like there's, there's no more tva and i mean my mind is like well the tva is responsible for most of this garbage in the first place so like this this new TVA since the end of season one, which was all created and focused on he who remains and has statues of him everywhere. Like uh, who's to say that this TVA shouldn't be blown up? And it doesn't matter if there's a giant explosion at the end of episode four. There's still two more episodes. I know you're all not dead. So like yeah. there's, there's just no real if everything is special in the end of the world, then nothing is special in the end of the world. You know what I mean? And yeah, and I feel like that's something that they need to improve upon uh with with the show for the for the pacing and you know i feel like that combined with a couple of characters some of which shouldn't get you know as much screen time as they do and then others that that get some but it's the same like sylvie is one note every time she opens her mouth it's i hate this i hate you and i hate the tva it's infuriating and boring and it like it doesn't matter what anyone says to her, Loki, Mo- Mobius, anyone, she has the exact same response. And it's it's usually when she's walking at you with a sword, like it's it's just the same. Uh, and it's the same thing that got everyone in the mess in the first place when she killed he who remains at the end of season one. And so I've got very little time for it, and it just feels so repetitive in the same way that they all stand around in the TVA, whether it's in Obi's workshop or whether it's in, I don't remember what it's called. The, the room that they need Jonathan majors, right. uh, character, uh, Victor Timely's aura that they need to open up the door and go into the time radiation and fix the loom, the room that looks at the loom. Cause that's easy to say in a podcast, <laughs> they stand around there and say, we have to do this or everything's going to blow up. This is super important and we're running out of time. And the amount of time that they spend standing around saying we're running out of time, it's infuriating. Like just somebody go in the room, like just somebody do something rather than standing around and talking about it and arguing about who's going to go first. Like just pick somebody, tag your it and push them out the door. I I found that really, it really was counterintuitive to like what they were doing did not line up with what they were saying you know um, right what they were saying was something that involved like it should have been running around trying to get someplace on time or or like pushing buttons frantically anything to make it look like you were rushing and they were not they were just kind of standing around and like let's get victor timely in a suit and let's take 10 minutes for him to put the suit on uh and do anything and that's my final big con is I really don't like Jonathan Majors in this role and in this show specifically, (laughs) Victor Timely, the fact that he needed to pause in weird, weird spaces in his lines and take forever to say what is not overly complicated dialogue, which means you got there long before he did. It was infuriating. (laughs) And I don't know whether it was a director's choice, whether it was Majors choice, somebody put a stamp of approval on it and said, yeah, let's go with that. And I think they're an idiot. Because it like <laughs> it took me three sessions to finish whatever episode he debuted in three. 
whichever episode was his first one, yeah. it took me three times to sit down and watch a 40 minute show because I just could not deal with it. It was just infuriating. I was happy when he turned into spaghetti at the end of this last one. I was like, thank <laughs> God. <laughs> Done with him. Not that, I, not that I'm trying to convince you to like him in that role. But I I think it may stem a bit from the fact that he's he's basically got to play like a huge number of versions of yeah. Victor Timely slash He Who Remains over the next number of movies. So they might be just trying to make every role as different as possible, which could be interesting, but it may come back like in a case like this where it just ends up backfiring. Because if, he, if he's the same person, there are going to be overlapping sort of mannerisms or you would expect to be overlapping mannerisms from timeline to timeline kind of thing. So I don't know. I, I feel like they could have played it a lot straighter because he was a cartoon, but no one else in the show is really a cartoon. I mean, OB comes close, but OB pulls it off so much better. And I guess OB pulls it off in a way that you don't know how many hundreds of years that OB has been by himself in this little workshop, right? So he kind of makes sense. He's a little bit quirky. Um, yeah. And I know that Victor Timely is supposed to be one of those brilliant scientists that has no social skills whatsoever. But I also think that's done to death in a lot of shows too. So like I, yeah, did not, did not enjoy that part of it. I mean, I'm going to finish it because I'm four episodes in and it's, you know, it's one of those things that it has some things that I like about it enough to, to watch it. And I want to say that this last episode was better than the third i feel like it was mm -hmm. a step forward for me two was my least favorite because it was just so focused on hunter x5 who became brad wolf super movie star i'm like oh yeah who you I don't just... care about at all yeah because they he he wasn't even in it like i said for a nanosecond and suddenly he's the main focus of the, the second episode one of my beefs in episodes three and four were I, I don't really like what they did with ravona renslayer and miss minutes because it's felt like renslayer was she was, you know, in charge of the TVA, all things considered. She was, right. she was running the show. Yep. And she was tough. She was smart. Um, she fought, she followed through with conviction. And then just in trying to find Victor timely, I mean, she was following Miss Minutes lead on all of this stuff to try to get Victor timely to where he was ready to come in. But it just felt like when they had her try to kind of, I don't know, it felt like she was semi seducing him into kind of, creating like joining into a partnership so they can move forward together kind of thing. It just felt like almost cliche woman thing that just didn't fit the way her character had been presented so far. And then they had Miss Minute, this virtual clock thing kind of lust after Victor timely as well. It's like, why are, why do you have to do this to these, <laughs> these mm. female characters? Why are they suddenly need to lust after these men to get what they want? Um, it just, it just felt so weird. I mean, I could, I could sort of see it more, with Miss Minute because she is a was a virtual an AI created by Timely and she's been potentially just like worshiping him all along because he created like basically created and birthed her sort of thing so she might have this sire devotion type thing that's but it just felt felt like so out of character for Renslayer and it just felt like it was felt like an extra shame that they did that to Renslayer and then Miss Minutes right afterwards it was like it's just there's no need for that. Yeah, the Renslayer motivation was also confusing for me as well because I, I couldn't remember what happened to her at the end of season one. So I was like, I don't mm -hmm. know why she's so anti-TVA 
now when she used to run it like it, it just felt all backwards and i mean i also wasn't terribly impressed with the ai switching and saying like oh you're telling me that the ai in this in this show uh has an ulterior motive and is borderline psychotic surprise <laughs> the ai has an agenda wow that's an original idea so that I, never happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right so yeah. so that kind of stuff i think was was a bit I mean, I, I thought that Miss Minutes was funny in the first season, and then I found her kind of cliche so far in the second season. Yeah. They've shut her down at the end of the last episode. I don't not, not killed, but like they've turned her off from what I what I can say. Yeah, and, she was she was reset. And I yeah. don't know if that meant reset in terms of like all coding and everything as well. But I, I thought that the the visual sequence that they used in her reset, that I thought that was pretty good to see her sort of like devolve back to the original. Yep virtual assistant that she started out as and renslayer died right or yeah trimmed Tri is trimming dying or is it just it is. you get put yeah, somewhere you're else being ob obliterated and removed from existence right yeah so um so yeah so that's the end of like so that was an unceremonial end for renslayer you know what i mean like it, mm -hmm. as someone that was like the villain at the start of the show uh or start of the season just kind of poof so yeah, yeah, I don't know where they're going with it because of the giant things that have been happening in the last episode. So with the explosions and Victor Timely going away, and I think it goes back to one final note on a lot of these characters are too valuable for the MCU to be in real peril. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, we already know that there's lots of variants of, of he who remains coming because of what he said at the end of season one like if you kill me there'll just be more of me and right. so you're like so because it's time related like there's no there's no uh not pathos there's no risk you know like you can blow up mm -hmm. everything and all it takes is somebody to say and then this branch of the timeline did this <laughs> and everybody's back you know like it, just, it, it doesn't matter yeah. you know there's there's no risk there so um i'm just curious to see hopefully with any clarity what loki's character has on the other side of it that's kind of where yeah. i'm hoping to go because i'm i'm a tom hiddleston fan you know i like i like his performance i think that um because of the events of endgame which started the loki series i feel like they've got some potential to have loki in future mcu stuff and so that could be cool yes i'm very i'm, I'm pretty excited to see what what he will bring or how he will then sort of intertwine back into the greater mm. MCU. He's too, he's too big of a character to not, to not, I think to just, to just leave in a TV series and not bring him back into the movies. It's, it seems like it'd be a poor choice. Moving on into the internet minute, which is brought to you by you, dear listener. The Citadel Cafe is listener supported. If you're getting value out of the show, please consider putting a little bit of value back in. You can become a member at patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. Joining at any level will get you an invite to the member-only Discord server shared with my personal Discord and access to the Barista Cut bonus audio sessions, which are now tagged on to the end of the episode. Steven and I sometimes hang out after we finish the main episode, chat a little bit more about either something on topic or something new. And then there's also the, the few people that are here live. We record these live now in the Discord. And as a member, you'd have access to that. Special thanks to our Bean Counter patrons, Cosmic and Smurf588. Thanks ever so much for your support on this episode. Patron count is at 31. That is, I want to say, steady on from last week. Our goal each session we record is to have at least one more patron than the previous episode. If you would like to be patron number 32, visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe.
I'm going to Lego pick this week. What? You're surprised. I know. <laughs> uh, we have got, I've got to move on from that joke that we're getting into the, yeah, yeah. we just accept it folks. Uh, there tends to be a lot of Lego released in the fall and we are looking at the Lego Dune Atreides Royal Ornithopter. Feel like they could have given it a longer name, but maybe not. Ornithopter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so this is the dragonfly helicopter looking things from Dune. And uh, I will be first to say that I wasn't a big fan of the movie, but I have always liked the gear from Dune, the tech. Mm. Uh, I remember playing the RTS game in the 90s on my computer and that's how I got familiar with all the different stuff that was from Dune. And I did see the movie from the 80s, but I, I was too young to really appreciate it, I don't think. Uh, this is set 10327, 1,369 pieces, 9 inches high, 22 inches long, and 31 inches wide. This whole 22 inches long thing is, that is no joke. <laughs> I just finished the UCS uh, X-Wing Starfighter and it's 21 inches long. I don't know where I'm going to put it. Like this, anything longer than a foot is a, chore yeah. to put somewhere i just say chore you have to think about where this goes that has to go somewhere special uh it retails for 215 dollars canadian and yeah. uh it it looks pretty good I, it's one of those lego models where i like the concept i like the idea but some of the angles and the shapes if you look up what one of these looks like from the recent dune movie uh which is from 2022 i think um there's just something about the way that the Lego pieces put together here. And it just, it feels a little boxy. Yeah. I don't want to throw it all at the feet of Lego because they're kind of stuck with the, the whole thing is gray from tip to stern, right? Like just, there's, there's no real color or even tonal variation. There's just like black bits for feet and lightly colored gray wings, but everything else is just like ash gray the whole fuselage so it is kind of difficult to get kind of form and interest happening um the function is cool i saw a social media video from lego where they did like a bit of a reveal and the designer was like holding it up and moving it around and the wings flap um not nearly as fast as a, you know a helicopter but like you know they flap up and down the landing cool. gear comes up and comes down and the landing gear looks like legs it looks like insect legs so the landing gear function is really neat and then the wings also fold back kind of like how a falcon would dive you know for prey and mm. uh that's from the movie they did that in in, a, in in the movie and um so that that kind of stuff is cool um i think one of the things that kind of makes this feel a little bit less like lego and i don't know how they would solve this problem but the wings themselves are just single pieces like custom plastic they look like dragonfly wings that are eight inches long they're not right. made up of lego pieces uh they're not translucent they're just they just look like the pieces of a plastic toy as if you had bought this as an action figure toy as opposed to a lego set so that might be part of the thing that just kind of pulls me out of it but i mean other than that i think you know they, they did a pretty solid job i just i don't know whether this was something that was screaming make a lego model out of me i'm just looking at the picture now i'm not sure what else they could could do and keep it that narrow kind of thing because i'd be inclined to want to make the sides of it smooth but then as soon as you do that then it makes every aspect of it that much thicker so and i think too that with the the, the stud to plate ratio they could have gone a little bit better it's a lot of exposed technic and that's not necessarily something i like yeah. in you and i've talked about the vehicles like the cars the technic cars and how we don't like them as much as something like the land rover 
or the Vespa. That's beautiful. Man. Where they, they cover things up, you know, even the Camaro yeah. from a, a few months ago is, is pretty slick. And I, I think that like to, to your, you know, notion of keeping it thin, uh, it looks thin on a three quarter view, but when you look at it from the top down, like it's, it can get a little bit chunky. So I imagine they're probably restricted there in terms of like, you know, what they can do for a plate versus not. And me just coming right. off finishing that X-Wing, that has a really interesting and fun plate to stud ratio. And I think they did a really good job of balancing that. So it does feel like a model. It doesn't necessarily feel like it, the whole thing is just stacks of Lego, which is nice. Um, the x-wing yeah so i don't know i mean like there and the thing is like there's going to be dune fans out there that love the books and love the games and love the new movie and this is going to be top tier you know where there's people that just don't care about star wars and the x-wing is not going to be anything that's on their radar right so uh, right it's good that they're you know out there and, and doing different things and you know from a design perspective this is all licensing stuff in a way i'm sure lego's hands were tied in that they probably couldn't deviate too much from what the thing was in the movie right? Because right. then it would just wouldn't look like an ornithopter and it wouldn't look like this ornithopter from this movie franchise, right? Yeah. If I, I'd have to go back and even, I don't even remember what they looked like in the eighties, but the new ones have that kind of modern vibe to them. So uh, they probably had to stick close to that. What's your pick this week? It is drum roll. Also Lego. <laughs> it's nothing. Um, It's funny. I, I was looking at the different Lego sets, because I just, I haven't picked, I don't think I picked a Lego set last time. So I decided to go back to it and I was looking at them. And the one I sort of kept coming back to was actually the one that's on the cover of the, the big holiday to a 2023 Lego catalog. It's the, um, Legos, Lego icons, Alpine lodge. It's got 1,517 pieces. It's not as, not nearly as big as what you picked. It was nine inches high, 10 inches wide and seven inches deep. And retails for about one, just under one thirty Canadian. It's um, it's funny. I'm not always attracted to minifig scale sets like this, but something about it, it feels like it really nails the spirit of a cozy winter lodge. I think they did a a good job. It's uh, and I love the log cab- cabin look that they did with the the treatment at the top, that sort of mimics the vertical beams just below the 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 roof. They did a good job of I think hitting the authentic chalet look. So I quite like it. It's interesting. It's almost like a diorama because it doesn't have a back. And when I first saw the thumbnail, I thought, oh, this is cool. Maybe it's like meant to go in like a winter village under the tree, but that's a separate thing that they Mm -hmm. do. And uh, I thought it might be like the A-frame cabin, which I think is an icon set. I think you've brought that up on the show before because the A-frame cabin is in the round. Like you do all four sides of that. You put the roof on it. There's still detail inside, but you only get access to that detail by lifting the roof off. Uh, with this, you just turn around, uh, and the floors, like the, the attic, the second floor and the main floor are all separate. And then inside you've got like a hearth and a Christmas tree and there's bedroom upstairs. And then there's like a little, um, bedroom in the attic with like some Christmas lights and stuff strung around. Like it's got a lot of, uh, detail that you would normally see inside something that's kind of outside. And then there's also these little, I'm not sure what you want to call them, accessory builds that are next to it. Well, outhouse. If you string them all together... <laughs> then there's actually quite a few. It goes out, like if you put them on a table, it's about the size of a place setting, even though the pieces themselves are small. But you've got, you know, like somebody riding a skidoo, pulling some presents. Then you've got someone ice skating or skiing. There's an outhouse, as you said. And then there's like a little ice rink. And so all those little things are separate from the actual 
uh, the actual build, but it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's cool. I'd imagine these kind of things, especially if you're putting it, you know, near your tree, uh, I'm seeing it displayed in on the Lego site next to a couple of other snowy type builds that look like that might be street scenes. If you had an LED set, um, oh, those yeah. aftermarket LED sets where you can like light all the rooms and have like street lights that are lit up, like you could probably do some cool stuff. My, my mom has a Christmas village and my stepdad built a Christmas tree shaped stand and that's what they put up for a tree every year. It's not a tree. It's, it's a tree shaped Christmas village. And huh. they're all porcelain cool. kind of things from like New England when they were down in the States and, but they've all got lights and they all light up and then there's different things and it, it looks really, really cool. And, uh, I thought to myself, you know, like that would be a really cool thing to have, whether it's under your tree or if you had a, a hearth to decorate in a house where you're in, you know, if you're like us and you're into Lego, if you each year were picking up like one new set of these wintry cabin kind of, you know, aesthetic snowy scenes yeah. and then lighting it with your own christmas lights or your own leds or whatever there's a, a lot of potential there well that wraps up this episode of the citadel cafe you can get more information about the show and links to some of the things that steven and i talked about at the citadelcafe.com music for the show was composed by kevin mcleod you can email us at the citadelcafe at gmail.com just like smurf 588 or find the show by name on social media Subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, even YouTube. Really, in your favorite podcast app, you can find The Citadel Cafe. Word of mouth is the easiest way to support the show. Just tell a friend about The Citadel Cafe and where they can go to listen to it. My name is Joel Duggan, and you can find everything I'm doing online at joelduggan.com. That includes a link to the Spawn Chunks podcast, which is all about Minecraft. Lots of new stuff happening in the Minecraft space right now, so be sure to check that out if you are a fan you can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream Thursday through Sunday. Right now, it's all about finishing West Hill on the Citadel server. Lego is still on Fridays, though. So if you enjoyed the Lego chat here, you might want to see some live Lego happening on Twitch on Fridays. Steven, where can people find you online? It might be a stretch to call it a comeback, but I've started streaming more often on Twitch again. So best spot to find me is on twitch.tv slash stevenese. Again, Steven with a ph. You've been listening to the Sigil Cafe, where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you can only pick two.